Welcome to the Veteran Founder Podcast on the Startup Radio Network. Starting a company allows you to be back in control. The weekly show that brings together military spouse and veteran founders who are doing remarkable things in the business world. I can't imagine there's anything out there stronger than the bond military and veteran entrepreneurs have. We'll hear their story, the story of business, and lessons learned. Boy, can override the worries and depression. Here are your Carmen Nazario and Josh Carter. Happy Friday. Happy Good Friday to everybody out there. It is one o'clock on the West Coast, which can only mean one thing. It is time for the Veteran Founder Podcast. I am your host, Josh Carter. Carmen Nazario is off this week. Uh, we hope she's enjoying her time with her family. Uh, if you are unfamiliar with the show, welcome. Every week we bring in these amazing veteran founders that talk about their business and lessons that they've learned over the past. And uh, and just hopefully you, you walk away with some learning and empowerment. So this week... I'm excited because we have a, a Navy uh, veteran just like I am, uh, Craig Gorman of uh, Creative Management Staffing Services. Welcome to the program, sir. Thank you. So, Glad to be here. Uh, yeah, I'm really excited. We were talking a little bit before. You were also, you started out as a QM. I was a QM, which is really exciting. For those that don't know, uh, QM is just quartermaster, which is uh, navigation. So, I'm really excited. What, um, so I always start the program. Where are you from and what compelled you to join the Navy? Okay, well, I'm, I'm from a little small town called Bellhaven, North Carolina, and I grew up on a farm, and me and my best friend decided to go in the Navy on the buddy system. Um, didn't think I was uh, mature enough for college, so we decided to opt for the Navy, and off in the Navy went in 1982, joined, went to boot camp in Orlando, Florida. Nice. Yeah, the buddy system didn't work out for me. We were supposed to do the same thing, me and my friend. And at the time, I wasn't even interested in the Navy. It was I, I but I wanted to get money for college. And so uh, so I signed up my paperwork, and I went, all right, dude, your turn. And he went, oh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm not going. <laughs> <laughs> you son of a bitch. But uh, it worked out. We still talk, mm-hmm. thankfully. But um, so what what com- what did you want to get out of your time in the, in the military? What did you expect, and, and what did you get out of it, did you think? I think when I first joined, the fact that we're leaving home and, and doing something different, that was the first thing uh, I got out of it because I never traveled, you know, other than being in the States. And, you know, we wanted to see what the rest of the world looked like. And then, you know, being in the Navy and, and being on my first ship out in California and, you know, having to travel was eye opening because it was surprising to my family. So whenever I wrote home to my dad, I would tell him about all these places. I uh, visit, you know, you know, between going to sea and then pulling in port, that was something special. You know, I got to see it on the Navy's dime. You know, I didn't get to see it on my own dime, but it was that was the best dime you could ever get. You know, being 18 years old, come from Bellhaven, North Carolina. Yeah, what did uh, when when you walked in? Did, were you hoping to become a quartermaster, or what was what was it that you wanted to do when you got in? I wasn't sure. I, I remember. Um, I started out in deck division and I moved to supply. I remember talking to the captain one day and he knew I had professional development board and he goes, well, Seaman Gorham, how are you going to make third class if you don't pick a job? And I happened to be up on the bridge standing watch at the chart table and I was looking around like, man, these guys don't get dirty. <laughs> and I, I, captain came over to the chart table. He said, hey, you made up my mind. I said, yeah, I want to be like you, sir. He goes, what's that? I said, you don't get dirty. I said, I want to be a QM. 
So uh, I went through the professional development board. He sent me to school. And when I got back, you know, he told me the first thing he told me before I went to school was not to fail because I didn't want he didn't want me make him look bad. So I didn't fail out of school. And then when I got back to the boat, I was the only junior person with all those senior QM. So, you know, being a senior a junior QM, you get all the scrubbing the deck, shining the bright work. So I had to do all that to earn my strikes before they let me back at the chart table. Sure. Makes sense. Yeah, that's a very similar path I took. I, I was in deck when I first got in, but it was because the recruiter didn't tell us that uh, there were no draftsman uh, schools, that you had mm-hmm. to strike into being a draftsman. So, wow. uh, yeah, so instead of putting me in something like QM, which to your point wasn't di- necessarily difficult, especially when you're in port, he put mm-hmm. me in deck, and that's literally the hardest thing you can do uh, as an enlisted person on the boat. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're standing. I don't know what I don't know what you, what boat you were on. We were on FFGs and we were doing uh, twenty one hour days every third day mm-hmm. underway. Mm-hmm. I was on an AE. I was on an ammunition carrier. Oh, nice, nice, very cool. And what were some of the ports that you enjoyed going to? Uh, well, I've been on both sides of the world, so East Coast, West Coast. But I would say I enjoyed the Philippines, and then there was Hong Kong, then there was Korea and Thailand and Hawaii, Australia. And uh, when I left surface, I went submarine. So I've been everywhere on submarines, but I actually really enjoyed the East Coast because, you know, France, Italy. And if I had to call one place home and favorite would be I would love to go back to Italy. I really liked Italy. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I was always Atlantic fleet. So I, I was always jealous. You guys got the West Packs. And so you guys mm-hmm. went up and down. the. I, I really wish I would have done that. But uh, no, mm-hmm. I, I did. Yeah, I did two tours in the Persian Gulf and then. Five tours in the Caribbean and and uh, don't I thirty countries in three years. So mm-hmm. when when you say you're going to see the world, you're definitely yeah. going to see the world. So when you uh, when you moved over to to QM and then you moved over to ET, uh, like electronics te- technician, right? Because I know they right. shifted some of these these nomenclatures. But what 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 prompted you to move for, from from quartermaster to electronics technician technician? Oh, that oh that wasn't my choice. No. Uh, by the time I got fifteen years in the navy, you know, I was already a first class and uh, came on for short duty in North Carolina. And the XO received a letter that all the quartermasters that was on submarines had to change the race to QM. And I was going up for chief and. Um, I remember her sitting in my office and I was in charge of the recruiting station and Carrie, she came in, she was sitting in my office and I'm like, ma'am, why are you in tears? She's like, I feel bad for you, Periscorm, because are you going to make chief if you don't know anything about ET? I said, oh, I can study. <laughs> I can make it. Man, that first ET test, man, it kicked my butt. Yeah. I bet. And, uh, you know, when they changed the rates, we, and then we had a chance to go to be Pers to sit down and you know, explain our frustrations that how can you change us in the almost towards the end of our career? I was at 15 years and I was really frustrated because I was really trying to make that E7. Yeah. And um, it was it was real tough. When I was leaving, they were, yeah, even when I was leaving, I left in 97, they were already starting that transition of like moving Mm -hmm. signalmen into the quartermaster rate and and just doing a lot of shuffling. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's crazy. So, mm-hmm. so you spent 20 years in. Towards the end of your career, you were a retention coordinator, it says here. Mm-hmm. Talk mm-hmm. a little bit about what that, what that was like uh, and, and how, how you took your career experience into this next job. 
Okay. So I got stationed at um, VC-6, which is the aviation squadron for drones. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was in charge of retention between Pax River, Little Creek, and NOB for VC-6. So what I would do would go around and talk to the young men and women about the, the, the value of staying in versus getting out. Mm-hmm. And then we would talk about, you know, what was that plan to transition beyond tap class if you wanted to get out before you met your 20 years or however long you was going to stay. And at that time, the Navy was really pushing retention because they was losing a lot of folks in the 90s. Mm-hmm. That's when the dot-com boom took off where everybody wanted to be in IT. Yep. So they had to compete. So they got a lot of us trained, you know, for shore duty as career retention and to talk to the young men and women. And we did pretty good keeping young men and women, you know, when you got that 1306 to use for, you know, as a, as a motivator to get them to stay in. If you could get people positioned close to where they want to be, the type of job, the reenlistment bonus. So you had a lot of uh, ars- things in your arsenal to work with. Mm-hmm. So that's how I became a retention coordinator. And actually, to transition that over, I didn't start out. When I retired from the Navy back in 2002, I didn't start out as a retention coordinator or a recruiter. I kind of had to feel my way through. It was a uh, it was a life changing event when I retired. It was uh, didn't go as smooth as I thought it would when I first got back to North Carolina. So gonna, it took me a while to yeah. adapt. I was going to say that it's interesting to me. Just kind of glossing over your 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 background, this seems like a really pivotal moment that had a direct impact to what you're doing today, right? Like, would you agree with that? Yes, sir. Yeah. And even like, even looking back at some of the other things that you've done in, in your past, things at Duke University or even at Kelly mm-hmm. Services, like a lot of these things have parallels uh, to mm-hmm. what you're doing today. What do you think uh, you did in the Navy that prepared you for your transition out? Um... I think I was for leadership. I think, you know, having them when I made first class go through leadership training. Yeah. When I made E6 kind of got me prepared. And I think as I got to 10 years in the Navy and I decided to make a career, it kind of settled me out. And I was already a first class. So you I became in charge. I was running NAV deal. I was a, a section leader. I was in the command retention coordinator. So I had picked up a lot of, you know, secondary duty and then on top of my main duties i think that's what really got me prepared to transition out Mm -hmm. um not so much tap class i think having that experience and keeping in contact with some of the other veterans that gotten out before me that actually helped me a lot because i I work for this retired master chief who we're still real good friends right now today and um he's the one that got me interested in being a recruiter so I mean, I, 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 a.k.a. I call him the godfather of recruiting because that's all he did after his first four yeah. years in the Navy. Nice. And he kind of just shot up as a master chief. And, I mean, he trained me well. And so uh, I think having someone to lean on when I got out, as from a veteran standpoint, really helped me transition. 
It's really intriguing. Like TAPS is so for for those that don't know, TAPS is Transition Assistance Program, and there's ETAPS for uh, for officers. There's TAPS for just regular enlisted. Um, but it it really is just a short duration of this training that gives you these fundamentals like how to balance your checkbook and all these like life skills that you 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 don't really get because someone is paying for your meals and providing housing and all these things that you do for twenty years, right? Um, but it it really doesn't prepare you well, in my opinion. And I, I wasn't in for very long, but I didn't feel like I walked out of TAPS going, oh, yeah, I got this thing all locked up. I've got this figured out. So do you think having somebody outside of this program really helped you transition more and get you uh, more prepared than if you were just to rely on this TAPS program? I think you need someone outside of mm-hmm. TAPS class. Whenever I talk to a veteran in you know, when I got into the veteran staffing world, a lot of veterans asked me about the transition phase. And it's funny that when they talk about the transition phase, they got the same problems they had when I transitioned out in 2002 right. that they didn't really get anything out of. And I, and I always tell them my story is that this is what I got from tap class. Yeah. I said, they can go in this order. If you're married, you got your wife standing over you. Make sure you get me enrolled in taps. I mean, in, um, Deers. Mm-hmm. Make sure you get my ID straight. Make sure you get your moving stuff so we can travel home. Yep. And that's pretty much what I remember besides making sure my DD-214 was correct when I was sitting in admin. Nice. And out, outside of that, you know, it, it felt like a blur other than I paid some company 170 some bucks to write my resume and I never got any opportunity from that. And I already knew how to dress because, you know, growing up, you know, I went to church and, you know, I knew what to wear a suit for and what not to wear a suit for. So sure. I knew that part. But outside of that, you know, after spending 20 plus years in and you transition out, you know, you really don't feel like you have a, 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 a sense of worth because now you've lost your, 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 your sense of belonging, your sense of worth because you're no longer affiliated with it. Yeah. Now, however, I tell folks if I'd have stayed in Norfolk where, you know, my brother-in-law lived, maybe, you know, I wouldn't have had a, such a difficult time transitioning out. You know, we've talked about this on, on the show before about the transition, especially career uh, folks in the military. Uh, you know, when you talk to a veteran, the first mm-hmm. question you typically ask them is the same question you talk to somebody that you ask if they've been incarcerated, right? How long have you been in? Or how mm-hmm. long were you in, right? Like, but there's a mm-hmm. direct parallel because of the fact that there's somebody that takes care of your schedule, there's somebody that takes care of your meals, there's somebody that takes care of your living arrangements, and so when people transition out, it's really difficult uh, to figure out how to navigate that. And and for people trying to figure out how to build out their their business network, it's even more difficult because they mm-hmm. have none, zero network. How do you right. think uh, beyond having this master chief chief, were you able to overcome that? Uh, somewhat, you know, you know, you never, I think you, you have a, a base of people that can help you, but I think sometime internally you have to look at yourself. So for me, which frustrates my wife, I regimented my lifestyle. Mm. So I figured that, you know, the way we did it in the military, I start my day and I plan my whole day out and it frustrates my wife because, <laughs> you know, sometimes I don't like deviate from the plan and she gets yeah. really hostile. So I think for me to to cope is to regiment. I still exercise four times a week. 
I still get up anywhere between five, four, thirty, five o'clock in the morning nice. to start my day. I can't do that. And <laughs> and I'm in my office every day by seven thirty. One cup of coffee, <laughs> and then I'm briefing my office manager like just like we had formation. Yeah, here's what I need to get done today, and then I I knock off every day around four thirty, five o'clock, and then if I have to work late, I put in the hours. Yeah. That's great. We've been talking to Craig Gorman. Gorham. I keep mispronouncing it. I apologize for that, Craig. That's Craig okay. Gorham from Creative Management Staffing Services. We're going to take a quick commercial break. We will be right back. CPA Dudes, where accounting is never boring. Their price is not based on time. Instead, customers decide what to pay them. They don't charge you for sending invoices, phone calls, emails, texts, or meetings. They just get the damn job done. Find them at cpadudes.com slash startupradio. We are back with Craig Gorham of Creative Management Staffing Services. We were talking about transitioning, and you were talking about you know setting that sort of regimen, even though you're not in the, the military anymore. I want to talk a little bit about sort of your, your journey to getting to Creative Management Staffing Services because you had worked a, a few gigs, like we mentioned before, you were at Kelly and a couple other places. What do you think, beyond doing the retention stuff in the military, what do you think helped set you up to transition into the working world that you took from the military uh, to be a success? Well, I think, you know, the military sets you up to be an independent thinker the time you hit E4, E5, E6, starts instilling that leadership into you. And I think uh, for me, you know, early on, having to start out on the surface ship and by the time I made E5, you know, the senior folks that was there before me had left, and now I'm the next senior guy in charge in NAVDIV, and then given a responsibility at an early age kind of helped mold me in my, in my thought process about how I approach certain things. So, again, I've always referred back to that leadership that you start out in working with good leadership where you learn by example. You know, um, so I've learned a lot over the years with not only being on the surface ship, but in submarines. So I had a chance to experience two sides of the Navy where most people don't. Actually, three. I worked in aviation, surface, and submarines. Nice. Yeah, not, not a lot of people do that. They just sort of either do surface or they do submarines. So that's really cool. And, and I'm sure it gave you a, a sense of being able to take away the strengths of the different types of services. Yes, sir. Mm -hmm. yeah. So so tell me um, a little bit more about your your work at uh, the, these different companies that you worked at, and then sort of let's let's start to dive in a little bit about why you created Creative Management Staffing Services. Like, what was the what was the thought process there to start that business? What were you, what problem were you trying to solve? Uh, actually, I was solving an issue to get corporate America to understand how to relate to veterans and how our skill set could translate into a civilian job. So I started out, I used to go do job fairs around to some of the bases working at Duke University. You know, locally we have Fort Bragg, Seymour Johnson, and Camp Lejeune. And uh, I just was listening to my colleagues and trying to educate them that my skill set that I learned in the Navy is compatible to the same skill set they have in corporate America. And on top of going to school and getting two degrees. But how I got into creative management staffing services, uh, I hired this young lady. She was in the she was in the Marine Corps Reserves. 
and I hired her for one of the departments for Duke. And uh, she was doing really well. And one day she called me out of the blue and she's like, hey, can you talk to my fiance? He's really struggling out there doing two tours in Iraq. I'm like, sure, I can just tell him to come see me. So when he came to talk to me, you know, I kind of measured him up. He was dressed. The only difference is he had his boots on. And I was like, look, you can't interview with your 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 your, your desert boots on. But if you go in, you put some dress shoes on, I would change your resume, tell you the lingo you need to, to use when you go do your interview and keep it short and sweet. Don't elaborate unless they ask. And I'm going to give you the simple questions they're going to ask in, in during an HR interview. And once I got him prepped, I actually called the hiring manager and told the hiring manager that she would do, be doing herself a disservice if she does not hire this young man because he has a skill set of three employees that's not even giving you 100%, I told her. But she interviewed him, loved him, hired him on the spot. He spent three years in that department. By the time he did three years in an apartment, I had already started creative management staffing service because I left Duke in 2013 on the strength that he was so satisfied with the way I helped him find a job after he sent out over a couple of hundred resumes and no one really uh, responded back to him. He was just happy that I put the time and effort and I was like, well, if I can do this for them, then I can do it for myself. Right, right. And I think you have to be creative when you're dealing with veterans because a lot of times I didn't know how to tell my story until I started talking to other veterans. There's times that veterans, when they're out there, they don't know how to tell their story or know their work. Right. So people like me sit down and I, and I actually have done training for the state of North Carolina through the Department of Health and Human Services just to go around to the base and talk to veterans about how to reintegrate yourself. And what type of expectations you got to have when you're dealing with corporate America trying to get sustainable employment. What do you think is the common mis- mistake these folks make when they transition out and go try to find a job? Expectations are way too high. Yeah. Way too high, in, even in the officer's rank, you know, and then you can't have a sense of entitlement. Sure. You, just because you serve, you know, I and I and I'm only saying it because I use myself. I felt like, man, all the things I achieved in the Navy, how dare you tell me you're not going to give me a job. Right. But it is real as when you're sitting across on the other side of that desk and the person that's making a decision can tell you that you're either not qualified or I'm not going to hire you. Or, you know, I don't see anything on your resume that I can actually use as a skill set to bring you into my organization. Mm. I've heard every excuse. You know, and that's what made me get into HR, because I was like, if I ever got in HR, I would never refuse anyone based on their skill set or their educational background or their veteran status an opportunity to have employment. Yeah. What do you think it is on the corporate side that that there's like what what common misconception do you think they have about veterans? Uh, I think they have a fear factor of them coming in and posing their will and taking their job. Mm. Interesting. That was not an answer I was expecting. Why do you think that? Because when I worked in my certain, when I worked as uh, an HR rep in talent acquisition, people was frustrated with how um, how I came to work. You know, I was efficient. Yeah. A lot of my hiring managers liked the fact that I was efficient because, you know, 
you get the mission and all you do is plan to get the job done. You never plan to fail. And you become competitive and don't even know people are looking at you from a competitive standpoint. And, you know, I had my colleague once tell me one time that she did she didn't like me because I made her look bad. And I'm like, I'm just coming to work doing my job. Yeah. That's interesting. I, I think, you know, what's interesting is when I got out of the military, I, I don't know that I, I don't, I think I, because I didn't have that much time in, I don't think I identified myself very um, strongly as a veteran and maybe mm-hmm. perhaps used it when it benefited me. But mm-hmm. I think people like yourself or, or others that have had longer term uh, mm-hmm. enlistments or obligations probably do identify and that's not necessarily what defines them, but sort of that's what they rubber stamp themselves anytime they walk through the door. Um, and do you think in, in those cases, do you think employers uh, look at that as a liability or an asset? Depends on who, you, who you're who working with. Sure. Some looks at it as a liability that understand the strengths. Yeah. Some looks at it as an, a, a liability. Understand that there may be a weakness because you don't and when you're looking at it from my perspective, being in HR, the environment in corporate America is you got to work as a team. Yep. Well, you see someone ain't pulling your weight. I was quick to say, you know, I can't do your job. and do, I can do your job, you know, and a lot of that didn't go over well. You know, I can look at someone and work with them like, I know you're not pulling your weight. I can do your job, but you, you got to keep up. And a lot of them don't like that because they see it from you now imposing your will. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So, so getting back to creative management staffing services, there are a lot of different organizations around the country that focus on veteran staffing. I, I used to run a nonprofit called Patriot Bootcamp, and we saw a lot come through our, our program. What do you think sets your organization apart from the others? Uh, I offer training. I, I think the, the, the thing that sets me apart is I train. You know, before I bring an employee in or I got an employee who's going on site, whether it's a veteran or a non-veteran, you know, I kind of our orientation is more like training. Mm -hmm. And I think what sets us apart, too, that we manage our process. And when I say we manage our process, you know, depending on how many uh, temps are on a site, we put our own leadership on site. So there's a go between the temp employee and the leadership. That way they never have to converse directly with a temp unless it's one-on-one. Okay. And what sets us apart is that I'm always available. And then we have a zero tolerance on a lot of things that most people say, oh, yeah, it's okay to have an attendance issue, but not for us because we love our brand. Mm -hmm. And because we're promoting veterans, I always tell veterans, the bar is set high for veterans and low for non-veterans. There's a standard and a perception that if you're a veteran, you're supposed to be above the fray. And that's what we we pass along to veterans when we bring them into our office before they go on site. Nice. I'm pretty sure I know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask it anyway. What do you think is the one thing that you um, when you're when you're trying to train these these folks, what is the thing that sticks out to you in which you know this is not going to work out for them. 
Like, what's that? What's that trait? That personality it could be a personality trait. It could just be the way they operate. Like, what's what's that thing that you see that's common that you're like, this is a red flag. This is not going to work for you. Well, I would tell you from what I've seen with most veterans, whether they did six, eight, 10, 20 years, is coming in thinking that they're going to definitely be running the show. Sure. Yeah. I, I see that a lot. It's one thing for a veteran to offer perspective to whether it's a manager or a business owner, but you have to know where you fit in the pecking order. And for the life of me, I can't get them to understand that if you're trying to work and get sustainable employment, the first day is not to go in and tell the boss they suck. You know, <laughs> Please tell me that has not come up. I kind of thought I had this one guy, but he was all Marine, though. Yeah. <laughs> well, that, there's, there's your trouble. You just got to give them a box of crayons on their first day, and then it'll all work out. <laughs> it's a distraction for them. <laughs> yeah, but he was a nice guy, and it took me 45 minutes to kind of tell him, like the drill instructor or his sergeant major would tell him, this yeah. is not how Marine's supposed to act. He got it. <laughs> but takes, It takes a while. Yeah, I had to go back to the client Yeah, and kind of smooth things over over a cigar and say, look, you know, the guy's got good. And he had good work ethics. Yeah. But he he wanted to call out every misstep that the CEO was making. I'm like, that's not your job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not good. All right, Craig, we're going to take another quick break. Uh, we've been talking to Craig Gorham from uh, CMS Staffing. We'll be right back. Today's episode of The Veteran Startups is brought to you by Publicize, a deconstructed PR subscription service which generates effective visibility for your business. For instance, media relations. Publicize handles all communications with the media and any content required to do this, press releases, editorial pitches, etc. And they offer a wide range of PR products and abilities out of which you can construct the PR package right for the future of your business. Check them out at publicize.co and tell them Carmen and Josh sent you. And we're back. We are talking to Craig Gorham from Creative Management Staff Services. Sir, you have on your page Creative Resources Unlimited for Veterans. What is that? That was a nonprofit that okay. we was going to start before we did the staffing piece. Okay. And what, and was the, uh, what was the objective for that one? The objective was just to help veterans as they transition out to connect them with the resources that I didn't know when I first got out of Navy. I didn't know all the resources. Right. So my job was to connect them with the resources that I didn't know about. And, and, and believe me when I tell you this, when I retired in 2002, I didn't even know the stuff I know now compared to what I didn't know have grown because it was a lot I didn't know, which I thought being a retention coordinator, you know, understanding VA benefits, that was about it. But there's a lot more that veterans are missing out on. So we created that nonprofit just to do like information, mm -hmm. you know, you know, information, connect you with the right resources, depending on where you at in your phase of being out and what your needs are. Makes sense. Yeah. There are, there are a lot of really good resources out there uh, for mm -hmm. veterans. I, we, we were a nonprofit. Well, we, Patriot Bootcamp still ongoing, but one of many, I mean, there's, 
45,000 veteran service organizations in the U.S. alone. So it's, it's just there's a lot out there. Um, so let's let's talk a little bit about what, where do you see creative management staffing services going in the next, say, five to ten years? What do you hope this organization becomes? Well, I want it to be the leader as a staffing agency or staff augmentation company, leader of making sure veterans start out somewhere being a platform that can get them sustainable employment. And, you know, I, you know, as a veteran myself, at least having someone that said, if I can't get in front of corporate America, which company can get me into the one company that they may be doing business or have a contact. Um, we want to be able to hire more veterans, you know, through my company and be able to, once they meet the requirements, move into regular positions. So we want to be, that clearinghouse to help more veterans become, you know, somewhere where they say, I need a job. I need somewhere where I can start. May not finish with CMS, mm-hmm. but at least I got to start. Yeah. And so um, every year we try to make a goal to hire, you know, anywhere from one to 200 and 60% of our hires, anywhere from 60 to 65% of our hires are, are veterans. And, year and a half ago, we won the award in North Carolina for hiring the most veterans. Wow. Congratulations. Thank you. That's a huge, that's a huge honor. So Thank you. How, how do you find more, or how do people find you? Like, is it word of mouth? Are you doing advertising? Are you doing SEO? Like how, what are some of the things that you're doing to grow your customer base? It's every veteran that I connect to every veteran that was looking for a job or a veteran business owner. And besides, I've been in Durham pretty much ever since I've been retired out of Navy. So when people knew I worked at Duke University because I hired so many people, you know, even today, my colleagues tell me I'm still a household name and I'm a household name in Durham. (laughs) And because we're connected with a lot of better organization. Right. It saves me money. I, you know, I get free advertisement and marketing without having to spend a dime. Yeah. Yeah, because you've built out your reputation. People know you. How, right. So that, that leads me, that's a great sort of point. So, you know, when, you're, when people are looking at you, um, you know, you have set up yourself as sort of the leader. And when people think of staffing, that's what they think. How, mm-hmm. how do you prepare transitioning veterans to define their story so that when people think of them, they think of whatever special trait or story or whatever it is. How do you help them define that? Well, I haven't really had the opportunity to really help veterans, you know, define their story as far as, you know, whether they're transitioning out or transitioning to a business. Because a lot of times when they call me, they're gotten beyond and they're asking me how do they go back to get out of the issue they are created and got themselves into. Mm, okay. Um, and then I pretty much tell them my story, been there, done that. And yeah. uh, then I connect them with resources, you know, whether it's capital or legal or uh, they want to meet with some company that they've been trying to do business with, but they didn't have the right connection. So it's, 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 it's kind of hard that, you know, when people come in, especially veterans, a lot of them don't give you their transition story unless you sit down and you really have that relaxed moment because it's about trusting the person that's sitting across from you. Sure. Yep. And how easy is that because you're a, 
a fellow veteran does that become? Uh, I find it for for us because, you know, I, I was a career counselor. Um, people talk to me when they come in, you know. Uh, I remember talking to this young lady. She was looking for a job and and something didn't sit right. And all of a sudden she closed the door when I excused everybody out of the room. And she told me her story. So immediately I picked up the phone and called this other uh, nonprofit organization that assist female veterans and she had housing uh she went through that program and then i got her job down the street Mm -hmm. so i think if you you have to act when you see a veteran in need i'm not saying you can fix every problem but at least they know that if you're a resource they would tell other veterans their experience what they experienced with you no absolutely It's, it's such a it's a very unique fraternity to be in, right? Like we are in a, a really unique space where um, we are part of a different sort of 1%, right? The, mm-hmm. we, we are part of this group of people that went in, raised our right hand, traveled the globe, put our life in line, whether it was, you know, you're an Air Force person that sits in an, a cold air conditioned office or you're that frontline gunner in, in, uh, in Afghanistan. It doesn't matter. Everybody put their hand up to, to do something remarkable. And what's cool about this, this group that we're in is that everybody wants to help everybody. And, uh, and, and I think this is great. I, I love exactly what you're doing. Um, I ask this every week because I'm really curious, um, and, and everybody has multiple answers to this because we've all done it multiple times. But what do you think is the one thing, that the biggest thing that you've screwed up that you said, I will never do that again? And, and what do you think you've done to mitigate the risk of that happening again? So I can tell you this, and I can say it with open Honesty is I would never, ever, as a business owner, when I'm raising capital, use a factoring company. Interesting. Why is that? Because, you know, when I started out, I didn't even know what factoring was back in 2013. And by the time I met with the SBA and a couple of the nonprofits that was looking at my business model because they really liked it. And when they read over the contract, the lady that was over the SBA that I met in Maryland said that my contract with the factory company was worse than getting out of divorce. <laughs> that's that's strong language. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and then by the time I read it, yeah. I looked at it, I felt like I had still chains and it was they were draped over me like Superman with kryptonite. Oh, man. Oh, man. So what do you think you've done to mitigate the risk of that happening in the future? I have selected uh, financial companies that I know that have worked with companies like mine that see the upside and not take advantage of, of, of me because I'm a veteran, and especially I'm a service disabled veteran, because there's things that people want from me that I'm not willing to give up. Right. Like they want to right. use me or use me for a pass through because I have all the certifications. So I make sure that the companies I use now are for CMSS and looking at what our business model and what we do. Mm-hmm. That's great. That's great. So looking back now, you you've done all this great stuff. You've you've had a great career in the military. You had a great transition into the the private sector. Your your business is going well. If you had if if you met your younger self, 
What do you think you would tell that younger self? I think, of, you know, slow down and enjoy some of it. Yeah. That's what I would tell my my younger self. Um, just to sometimes just take in the, the, the wins, not the losses, and enjoy the wins and don't dwell on the losses. Yeah. That's great advice. And, and you know, we... Every now and then we talk about the the mental health aspect of being a founder. How how do you how do you get through the low the valleys? You know, as an entrepreneur, you go through these ups and downs. What is it that you do that helps you get through those low times? Well, I, I'm a man of faith and a man of Christian and a man of God. Um, I had that. I, I've always had that foundation because that's what I was raised on. And so when I was in the military, I kind of got away from it. Mm-hmm. But when I got out of the military, I needed something more than just having the military identify who yep. I am or, or define me. So I uh, had a long conversation with my pastor of my church, and I decided that, you know, I rededicated my life to Christ. And I wanted to have a foundation of religious and spiritual in me to keep me grounded. Because in business, man, I'm telling you, you have your struggles. Yeah. And um on top of that, I do see a therapist, but also uh, I, I spend most of my time in my faith, though. That's great. That's great. Craig, it was great getting to know you. I really appreciate you getting on the show and, and telling your story. I hope you have a wonderful Easter uh, this weekend with you and your family. Um, and, and I wish you all the luck in the world, man. Thank you. I appreciate it, and thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks, Craig. Uh, you can find Craig's website at uh, cmsstaffingagency.com, and Craig's also on LinkedIn as well. I'm sure uh, he'd love to connect with all of you guys. Uh, so uh, tune in next time. You've been listening to the Veteran Founder Podcast here on the Startup Radio Network. Tune in next Friday at 1 p.m. It'll probably be a best-of show because both Carmen and I are out next week. Uh, but tune in next week. I'm sure it'll be an amazing show. Uh, we will see you next time. Listen, learn, get stuff done. Support for today's episode comes from our friends at Ruby Receptionists. At Ruby, they've mastered the art of turning rings into relationships. Their team of remote receptionists answer all of your calls live as if they're right there in your office. Together, you and Ruby transform your phone into the sales engine it was meant to be. Start setting your business apart today. Visit callruby.com forward slash startup radio to sign up or better yet, call them at 833-861-8100 and use promo code startupruby. You're listening to the Startup Radio Network. Listen, learn, launch. 10% of our gross revenue goes directly to women entrepreneurs in developing countries around the world through Kiva's microfinance program.